Hello, and welcome to The Premise. Season three. Season three. Can you believe it? Here we are. Yeah, I can totally believe it. I can believe it. Yeah. We're, we have so many exciting authors coming up this season. We are leading up to the fourth annual San Diego Writers Festival. It's going to take place in person this year, folks. October 8th at the Coronado Public Library, 2022, live and in person. But today... As you know, I have the opportunity to interview some pretty amazing authors for Warwick's of La Jolla. And for those of you who don't know, Warwick's is the country's oldest continuously family-owned and operated bookstore. Fantastic place. If you're ever in La Jolla, be sure to stop by. We thank them for this interview. So sit back and enjoy. Joe, it's so good to see you again. Thank you so much for being here. Um, I'm, I'm happy to be here. It's always nice to see you. It really is. It's I awesome. say that all the time. Well, but in I'm, this case, it really is. You really mean it? You're not yes. lying this time? <laughs> you heard it, folks. Right from Joey Day. <laughs> Speaking of, I'm going to introduce you officially. Sure. Joey Day grew up in South Central Los Angeles and currently lives in Santa Monica. California. His IQ series has won the Anthony Seamus and McCavity Awards and has been nominated for the Edgar Berry CWA New Blood Dagger and Strand Critics Awards. The IQ books are currently in development as an original TV series. I know we're not holding our breath because that could be a while, but no, they're coming not. or not. We're not holding our breath. <laughs> we're not holding our breath. Those no. things are painful how long they take. It's an emotional IQ roller coaster. So, IQ sold in 2015. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. So, well, we're not here to talk about IQ though. We're here to talk about right. Philip Marlowe. Mm. Loved this book. Thank you so much. The Goodbye Coast. First of all, this is a badass cover. Isn't I love it? this cover. Yeah. Oh. It's so the, beautiful. The, this, the designers at, at, at Little Brown are amazing. They're just amazing. Yeah, I was so impressed. I just kept looking at it and thinking, damn, I wish I'd designed that cover. It's cool. It's Actually, it's part, it's part of why I got the job to write that was covers. The agent for the um, Raymond Chandler estate was in the airport, and he picked up IQ because of the cover. Really? <laughs> yeah. And, and he then, was like, uh, I want this he guy. He didn't know me. <laughs> yeah. He read it on the plane. I just happened yes. to have it right here. There it is. Oh. He, uh, he saw the cover. He thought that sounded interesting. Uh -huh. And um, so that's why I read it on the plane. And then he took it to the board of directors, and apparently they decided to give the kid a shot. So were they actively looking for someone at the time? Yes. Okay. Yes. They wanted somebody to write a contemporary Marlowe. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Can you just take us to that moment when your agent called you and said, so this happened? Hmm. Um, you know, there's this big moment of disbelief, you know, okay. it's like, are you sure it's Raymond Chandler? It's not Raymond Fandler or <laughs> are you positive? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was elated, you know, it was incredible. How could you not be so excited? And, 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 um, I was saying like, like most writers I know, you know, you really get into a challenge, something new and um you know it's it, it's it's like a test but it's fun mm. and i was um i was very excited and I, I was saying that i was i was also daunted because there's so many raymond chandler fans to disappoint you know everywhere 
Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't be bothered with that. I mean, you know, I can, I, I can only write the way I write. I can't write yeah. in the first person. No, it's just mm. one guy carrying a whole book. I cannot do it. That was one of and my so questions. That yeah. was an early decision just okay. to write the way I write. Yeah. Um, I did try first person, but you know, it, it was, it was too hard. I don't know how to do that. So I decided to just write the way I write and I do lots of characters and lots of subplots. And mm-hmm. in fact, the, when the, the, um, the estate, um, the board of directors saw the first um, draft, they didn't know what it was. I'm like, what is this? They were expecting first person noir, except in 2021. Yeah. And um, they said, well, who are all these characters? <laughs> but i think they are very reserved about it um but i think when the when the reviews started to come in they decided well okay this wasn't a bad choice now when you worked that contract you know your agent and you did you work it out that they didn't really have a choice? Like they weren't going to get to go back and forth and like nix what you did. Like, did they have to give all of the creative direction to you and just hope you did a good job or? It's, it's assumed because it's the publisher who's paying me. Right. All they do is license. Mm. So um, they don't have any editorial input. Thank God, they can. Right? I mean, we ask them, oh, well, that's um, nice. but, but we don't really have to ask. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they they do they do get to approve whether or not it gets published. Mm. They do that, but not editorial. Okay. And did you do pre-publication reviews just to kind of show them that this is working? Yeah, we sent them. Nice. We sent them everything, and they cool. they were pretty pleased. Yeah. Everybody well, it's a great book. Um, and I I gotta say I hadn't read Raymond Chandler. I know of him, and you've spoken about him a lot. I mean, isn't he one of your like favorite writers? From your childhood? He's, if you're writing crime novels, you're, he's everybody's favorite. Um, he's the gold standard, so to speak. He, um, he's an amazing, amazing writer. Mm-hmm. And he sort of started the genre. I, I guess that's more Dashiell Hammett. But when he was writing short stories, he had been fired from his job. He was a vice president at an oil company. He got fired from his job. We were drinking. Mm. And uh, threatening suicide. <laughs> Somehow that <laughs> so doesn't surprise me. Decided to let him go. <laughs> decided <laughs> to let him go. And um, he um, he was broke. Really, he started writing short stories for uh, um, a pulp magazine called Black Mask, and mm. he wrote one and he sold it for two hundred fifty dollars. Wow! And so that was a start. And he made his living by writing stories until he decided, well, I'll write a novel. Huh? What year was that? Do you know? Um, because it was in the 30s that he first published his first novel. Yeah, it was some time back there. $250 seems like a lot of money. It was a lot of money. That's kind of, um, I don't, we don't get that today for some articles. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's journalists. True. Yeah. yeah. I was surprised. I was surprised. Huh. All right. So I want to talk about, you know, speaking of all these characters and creating mm. all the characters. So when you created Emmett in this like difficult, relationship, this father figure in yes. Philip's life. Talk, talk about how this came to be and, and where you, how you landed on that relationship between these two. 
Um, I was told by my editor in all my books, there is a dysfunctional parent-child relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And my head automatically goes there. Um, I, I'm not really conscious of it, how it goes there, but I needed uh, basically a sidekick for Marlon. Mm -hmm. And I wanted somebody where there was a lot of conflict, a lot of friction. Mm -hmm. And there were there was an undercurrent of of things past. You know, you're trying to create tension in every scene. Um, yeah. If they're talking, there, it has to be about something else. There has to be some simmering issue underneath, or it's just chat. So um, having a dad who was uh, grouchy and cranky and extremely old school, um, yeah. who eschews everything modern. I thought, you know, I could get a lot out of that. Yeah. You know, you make a ton of references to the original Marlowe character, the books, the movies. Mm -hmm. We've got 1920s and 30s. And Emmett happens to be a film buff who is yes. just nostalgic for the 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. And at one point, I literally stopped reading and I started laughing. I was like, oh, my God, this is an homage to Chandler. And yes. then we've got... Cody, who's, you know, one of the characters in the book, and they're, they're trying to save her. They're, they've rescued her. And they're trying to keep her safe. And she's yes. sort of like the opposite to Emmett. She's like current 2022, modern day era. Yes. And this was intentional, or did it oh, yeah. start to, okay, talk to us about that. It was brilliant. When I'm, when I'm creating characters, um, I'm looking ahead, and I'm asking myself, what do I need this character to do, hmm. you know? Um, and I'm thinking about, I'm always thinking about conflict, you know, mm -hmm. wherever he goes, whoever he meets, he has to be, something combustible has to happen. So I juxtapose this old school old guy and a 17 year old who thinks about nothing but being a celebrity. And um, we'll see what, I mean, I, I was really, you know, I, I, I make these things up as I'm writing. Mm -hmm. So I only have the idea that they're gonna clash, but when yeah. it comes time to specifics, I don't really know until two seconds before I write it. And that's just, I mean, that's just the way I write. I, love I, it. I have an idea and then I start writing. Well, and it does feel very organic for me as a reader. And hmm. I absolutely loved it. I, I loved how you were bringing us back to 1930s Hollywood and you're giving us all these references that, you know, are so critical if you're a Philip Marlowe fan in particular, right? Mm -hmm. But you're keeping us in the current as well. And there was a tenderness too between these two characters that, you know, seemingly hate each other, but yet yes. have a tenderness as well. What I, was... um, I look for emotion. I'm mm. always looking for emotion mm -hmm. um, in a scene, in a relationship, uh, because I think that's one of the things anyway that the readers key in on. They want to feel something when they read. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking for that. Uh, if it's father and son, and I want something emotional to happen between them yeah. or something emotional in their past. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's, it's instinctive now. I mean, I've written a few books, and so I used to have to think about it but, um, and ask myself specific questions. But um, by now... I'm automatically looking for emotion in the scene. You know, how can I get some real um, human experience and, and ground it? 
um, in that, that the reality is, is these human relationships. Mm. Um, because I think it gets very thin if you're just doing plot. Um, and, and you have characters Indeed. who are just kind of running around. It, yeah. You know, there are a lot of books that just deteriorate you know, <laughs> into a bunch of people running around. And yeah. I, 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 um, I, I wanted to stay grounding. And I think uh, finding the emotion is because they're universal. They, they, they keep the novel grounded, even though um, the scenes may be outrageous. And there are a few. <laughs> did you have a favorite character to write? Was it Philip or did you have more fun with some of the others? I had more fun with um, uh, the movie star. Because mm, she's so wicked or what? She's so wicked and she's so... Uh, verbal and she's so un PC, you know, and outrageous. Yeah, she's she's outrageous. And let me see, I got something here. So, Kendra's throwing a party for celebrity friends. Marlo wants to attend with some guests. Kendra, the diva, says no, forget it. But uh, Marlo twists her arm, yeah. and finally she can see. She says. You're a tapeworm, Marlo. You're eating my guts out. Fine, you win. If you want your so-called guests to attend my party, I have conditions. Don't bring some yokels here from Donkeyville, Oklahoma, playing <laughs> the harmonicas and scratching their ass cracks. They are not to talk about bull weevil season, or how they eat roosters for breakfast, and that they only wear shoes at funerals and hay rides. And remember, I don't like germs. If your hayseeds bring some mutant strain of hoof and mouth into my beautiful home, you won't get a job finding dead flies on a windowsill. That's fun to write. <laughs> That's fun. And it was super fun. fun to read, too. I'm glad. I'm glad. But <laughs> I get a character like that. It's just fun. Just somebody so contrary and, and um, yes, so contrary and so unexpected. It's, it's just fun to write. It's like Dotson yeah. in the IQ books. Absolutely. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, of Kendra and, you know, sort of the difficult Hollywood actress, and we hear so much about the ego and the money and just nefarious crap that goes behind the scenes of, of filmmaking. And your fans probably know that you were once a screenwriter. Now you yes. didn't get made, I guess is what it's called. That's and you what left. It's called. Was, was part of this like, I don't know, cathartic, like just writing about how ridiculous Hollywood was, is and was? Uh, the the, the um, first-hand knowledge came in handy. <laughs> but it, it wasn't, it, it was sometimes my personal feelings leak through, mm. like about movie making. And, um, you know, everything now is like a comic book. I can't watch that stuff. <laughs> I can't. I can't watch, you know, 90 minutes of special effects right. and when i think about old movies and how they were crafted and how people had um couldn't rely on special effects and they couldn't rely on editing they just had to act and um um i really i really respected that kind of filmmaking mm -hmm. you know um that that humphrey bogart movie um uh, in the piece, is, is a, it's really an amazing movie, and it's 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 really well directed. Um, but as as time went on, things got worse. Like in the seventies, I think there was a Robert Mitchum version um, mm. that Michael Winner um, directed, and it's just awful. <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> 
as was most <laughs> things in the 70s, honestly. It's true. Yeah. How much research did you do in preparing to write this book? Uh, I didn't do any preparing. Mm. Um, I research as I go. I okay. don't like to research. Mm. I really don't. I have a vast, I have a wide breadth of knowledge that's about this thick. You know, it's just. <laughs> but super wide. <laughs> yes. And so I, I, um, I research when I need it. Mm. You know, I want to know about the golden age of Hollywood, so I'll, I'll research it right then. Mm. And the trick is to know what you want to know. Yeah. To have the question you're trying to answer. Mm. Um, so that's the way I research. I have a question and then I go back in. I go study and see. Are you the kind of writer that when you're writing a scene, do you just like plow through and get it all down and then rewrite later? Or do you make every scene as good as it can be for, for that first draft, of course? Do you rewrite the scene and rework it and read it and research? Yeah, it's, and it's, a little, it's a little of both. I write the okay. best scene I can write. Yeah. Um, but then when I read it the next day, it needs to be rewritten. And then when I read it three months, three months later, I, it still needs to be rewritten. So, um, but I do, I do the best I can the first time out. Hmm. And I write scenes in some detail. And if I have something I just don't know, I leave it hmm. and I go on to the next. Right. Um, you know, you'll come back to it. You'll figure it out. Yes. Hmm. It's very inefficient way to write. Um, I don't know. You've written quite a few books. <laughs> it's true. But I'm going, you know, I'll, I'll start. Like I said, I don't have an outline. I start writing. And then I get to about page 60 and I look back and I see all the things that I missed. You know, all the things, you know, that don't track or illogical. And mm. so I have to go back and correct all that stuff and change all the transitions. You change scene four and now it doesn't connect to scene five. Mm. So I go back and I do that. And I keep going up and back, up and back. So I throw away many more pages than I keep. Many more. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, you know, and just in terms of your, your writing as a writer, I know you are very, you've even said you write seven days a week and you write mm -hmm. full day. You get up, you get yep. your coffee and you write all day. Mm -hmm. You've been writing long enough that I don't imagine this happened. But did you ever think to yourself, what the hell have I done? Why have I taken this off? I'm taking this on. Did you ever feel like you wanted to walk away from this task or did it always feel mm. within grasp, like right there? Um, I have a pretty good sense of whether a book is good or not. Mm. And so I won't let myself write something that's bad. And then I have an editor and he's sort of my backstop. You will not let me write a bad book. <laughs> Thank God, right? <laughs> Thank God for editors. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's, um, it's very reassuring. So I, I don't really worry about it. Um, mm. I write the best book I can. Yeah. And there you go. It may not sell. That's a different question, though. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that author-editor relationship is really important because you have to trust that they're going to do you right and that yeah. this really does need to be rewritten or this really is crap, regardless of how much you may love a scene. Mm -hmm. um, my editor, John, Josh... Josh Kendall, mostly what he does for me is he finds opportunities. Mm. He says, you could write about this. Um, um, you could enrich in this. And mm. most of his advice is very positive. 
Mm, um, nice. There's some things like structural, maybe you should change, switch the chapters or something, but uh, most of his advice is about that. You, know, um, you need a better line here. You know, um, the character's smarter than this, things like that. Um, but the main thing he does for me is to find opportunities uh, to write about something interesting. Mm. And uh, he's invaluable that way, just absolutely invaluable. He told me when I first started with him, um, I want to help you write the best version of your book. Mm. And he stuck to that. That's wonderful. He stuck to that. Yeah, it is. Is he the same editor from your first in the IQ series? Um, another editor, Wes Miller, helped me with IQ, the first book. And then mm. Josh took over. Got it. Uh, Wes Miller moved to another um, another part of the company and, and Josh took over. So he's been with me since Righteous. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. It seems that's a very me, easy, it's a very easy relationship now. That's know, great. Yeah. yeah. When you were creating Philip, Philip Marlowe, were you very mm. conscientious about creating your own version of Philip Marlowe? So people didn't think you were trying to recreate Chandler's? Um, part of the task was an homage to, to Chandler, but the other part was creating a character that would be entertaining for those people who had never heard of Philip Marlowe. Mm -hmm. And so I was conscious of that too. And mm -hmm. I thought, well, that's most of it. I mean, in effect, well, in the end, I just had to write a good detective novel. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that, 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 was, that was it. You know? So I, I, um, I created the characters um, as I went. And it was, it was a great experience. Uh, you know, I'm like a, I was like a very short, non-athletic Tom Brady. You know, I mean, in, in terms of seeing the whole field yeah. and knowing what everybody else was doing and then hitting your receiver on the fly, really gratifying thing to do. You know? um, so that part was, uh, the whole writing of it was fun. And when I started with Marlowe, I started with him physically. Mm. And... I do this very frequently where I find something distinctive and, and then I build on it. Mike, where is it? Uh, oh, here it is. In this scene, he meets, he meets Kendra. Marlo is looking off, distracted, as if he were bored and thinking about something other than the A-list celebrity sitting right in front of him. Disrespectful, Kendra thought. He reminded her a little of Steve McQueen, if Steve McQueen was a rude, insolent asshole. <laughs> Marlowe met her gaze, and she was instantly uncomfortable. His eyes were the kind that took in everything but gave nothing away. The kind that didn't notice but inhaled. The kind that mm. weren't neutral but assessed, gleaned, and adjudicated. I wrote that first. I love that. I wrote that. his eyes first. And then nice. um, everything came after that, like, okay, well, I got his eyes, now what's he wearing, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, yeah. So it, it, it just, it went like that. I'm just adding things. And um, it's sort of like a um, jigsaw puzzle. You know, I'm adding these pieces, fitting them in, and sooner or later, I'll get the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And but you don't in the meantime, Yeah. Yeah, you yeah. just keep writing. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the, the place where you chose to plop him in Hollywood. Talk about your decision of, of where Philip lives, why there, and let's talk about his furniture while we're at it. 
Philip Marlowe, the original Philip Marlowe, lives or uh, had his office on um, Hollywood Boulevard and Ivar. And that's where the, the, the new Marlowe lives. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, uh, Chandler's stories kind of bounce back between glamorous and seedy. Mm. So I wanted those two opposites. I wanted Kendra and Malibu and, and Marlowe in, in East Hollywood, um, which is not a nice place. Yeah. Um, so I knew I wanted to do that. And the case kind of evolved out of that thought that I want to take somebody from Kendra's Malibu world and send them out um, into a much grittier, dangerous place. And the case kind of grew out of that. Mm. You know? um, so I have this 17-year-old girl, and I make her so that nobody likes her. <laughs> <laughs> she's Evan a giant her. pain in the ass <laughs> she really is <laughs> um but again you know that that creation was looking ahead to see who she would bump heads with mm-hmm. i know she, you know marlo's got to have trouble with her and emmett's got to have trouble with her so um she was relatively easy mm. i mean there's like a whole generation of, of cody's running around out there boy so, aren't there yeah <laughs> no it's not really not really hard to find one so that was that was that was easy but yeah it said it said going back and forth between two worlds Mm -hmm. and then his um where he lives is is an old warehouse i wanted him to live someplace cool i mean yeah yeah you know um, personality right yeah it says a little bit about him yes and that he has almost no furniture but the floor is beautiful and he has no decorations and um you know, in his bedroom, he has this light painting on the wall that he stares at until he falls asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, those kinds of little quirky things I'm, I'm adding along the way. They're hints. Yes. They're hints as to who, who this guy is. Mm-hmm. He, so he did have a piece of furniture, a picnic table. Oh, yes. Tell us, tell us about this picnic table and where you came to discover it would be his. I like picnic tables for one. Right. I like the old wooden ones. Yeah. And they're they're charming. Yeah. And um, my wife and I had always talked about putting one in the backyard, but we could never find one that was as charming as the beat up ones you find in the park. And um, you know, they had some they were highly lacquered or one thing or another. So we we never got one. But I've always wanted a picnic table. And um it came up while I'm writing about his house. <laughs> you got your picnic table. <laughs> I got it now. Yes, I've got it now. It's awesome. And it, and it comes up again, you know, characters remark on it. Like, what the, what the hell? You have a picnic table? But it is mm-hmm. that quirky side of him that um, it's a hint, as you say, which I love. Yes. Yeah. I, I wonder, have you already started writing the second book? In the series is it hmm. i don't know if i'm going to write a second book mm. um i have to get you know the the estate has to launch has to uh, license me mm-hmm. and then they have to make a deal with the publisher and the publisher has to make a deal with me so there are lots of complications i mean i really want to write one and i told them yeah um but but we'll see a lot of this is out of my power yeah did you ever feel like IQ was slipping into this book? Did you 
have to be mindful that, or are they just so separate that that didn't even happen? It it didn't even it did it, it really didn't cross my mind. I mean, after I got started on Marla, he was so distinctive, mm-hmm. and the people in his world were so distinctive. You know, I didn't think about IQ. Mm. Although I did think about at one point IQ and Marlowe meeting. Yes. yes. <laughs> I was actually hoping that might happen because it could have mm. very easily. Well, I thought it was too much for the first book. Okay. Um, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So I, 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 I hope to do that in other books. That would be super badass. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, like if someone were to ask you, what's the difference between your Philip Marlowe and the Philip Marlowe of 1930s? Well, the task really was taking the original Marlowe's attitude, personality, cynicism, mm-hmm. and transporting them into the into the new world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really what I focused on, uh, his personality, his views, his cynicism. Yeah. Um, those are the kinds of things that I had to move forward. And that's what I focused on. Mm. And it's, um, they're hard to write. Um, uh, let me give you another example. Awesome. Oh, okay. The thing with his cynicism is you've got to work it into a scene so that it's not so self-conscious where where you're not, it's not so pointed, but it's part of what he's doing. So Marla went up on the roof with a tumbler of old Forrester prohibition style, 115 proof bourbon and a package of unfiltered camels. He didn't drink or smoke very often, but when he did, he wanted real liquor and a real cigarette. The atmosphere wasn't exactly pleasant. The air was warm and dirty, Saturday night traffic in both directions, endless, endless in both directions. In this Hollywood, there was no romance, no night mm-hmm. filled with possibilities, no one was tapped for stardom, and life was not an adventure. This Hollywood was a workaday and ordinary and a grind. Um, I'm, I, I, I try to fit those kinds of things in with his life. He always goes up on the roof and has his bourbon and cigarettes. And so yeah. I could take that moment and use it for a reflection. Yeah, yeah. Which did give him kind of this grit, right? So that also mm. said a lot about his personality. You know, he goes to sit yes. alone, the fact that he has an unfiltered cigarette. It says, a lot, about, bringing... it says a lot about me. <laughs> I think it does. I think it does. But we won't go there. That's a whole nother conversation, <laughs> Thank right? Thank you. <laughs> But like, you know, bringing a cigarette smoker into a, a, you know, a modern day novel, like, you know, was it always, there was just no doubt that he would smoke? Um, I didn't want him to be a smoker, but, you know. Occasional smoker. The the original Philip Marlowe, he drank bourbon and he smoked cigarettes. So it was another little, another little cue that I'm, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be, you know, just, just, just the cue that he's sort of like the original. Yeah. And it's, it's those little things uh, that work into the scene also. Mm-hmm. When I write a scene, it's happening on multiple levels. I mean, the scene, the event itself, and then um, 
character things like the, like the bourbon and the cigarette and the atmosphere and all of that I'm writing on, on parallel lines. Mm. Um, so, you know, a scene like that, for me, it has a lot in it. There's a lot in this scene mm-hmm. and um, a lot of, of information and emotion for the reader. Yeah. And like his cynicism really is my cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> if I was up there on the, that's exactly what I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe that explains a lot about um, his tenderness too, because you also can be, hmm. um, I don't know, very, you're a very kind individual. And so I think that's where maybe the tenderness comes from. And what I've known of you in the last couple of years, and you, you're so generous with your time and, and, you know, talking about your books and the writing process. So that makes sense that there's a tenderness in there. Thank you. You're welcome. I want to tell about, you, yeah. I'll tell you, there's a, there's a scene in the book where uh, um, Marla's father, Emmett, has this little figurine mm-hmm. on his shelf of a little yeah. girl. She's in pink. Yeah. And she, there's a little name on it called Susan. And she's just this whimsical little figure that's totally out of character with Emmett. And it's on its own shelf. My mom had that little figurine. She had Susan. Oh. She wanted a daughter. And I have three brothers. We were oh. all supposed to be Susan. <laughs> <laughs> I wondered and, and, about that. Yeah. I, so always, cool. I always found that really poignant. Yeah. And, and that's how it worked its way into, into Marlowe. Um, I needed something. I needed things that were soft about Emmett. Mm. So he wasn't always grouchy. Um, and I landed on that. I would have been so excited if I were you and I came up with that and I got to like pull that piece of my mom into the book. That would have felt so good. Yeah, it, those moments do, do feel good. Yeah. When, um, when it fits, yeah. it applies. Or it, You're like, you know, oh, I get to do this. Yeah. I go, that's pretty cool, Lee, eh? <laughs> <laughs> Good job. <laughs> You're doing all right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, I think one of my favorite characters is Ren. I mean, Emmett is my favorite character, if I'm honest. Mm-hmm. But Ren, you gave, I mean, frankly, she's a real badass. I mean, she knows how to use a weapon. She fights like a mother. I'm not going to say it, but I mean, she can fight. But she's also, you know, she really needs Philip because he has the detective knowledge to accomplish the task at hand. Yes. So talk to us about Ren and where she came from. And Hmm. she's the um, Lauren Bacall character. Okay. Okay. And um, again, I wanted to remind uh, the true Marlowe readers about um, the golden age of film and Bogart and all those things. And so uh, I wanted to write a Marlowe character, I mean, a a Lauren Bacall character, Mm. but she couldn't be Lauren Bacall as she was back in those, in those um, earlier movies. And I wanted somebody who was in sharp contrast to Marlowe. Again, I'm thinking ahead about conflict. And Mm -hmm. so I brought her, uh, she came from England. She's here from the UK. So she has an English accent and she has very um, clear views about what she wants. And somebody that's, that's very, very much in contrast to Marla who makes shit up as he goes along. You know? And, mm-hmm. and um, 
So I gave her an issue that was mostly heartfelt. I wanted her to be in pain. I wanted the audience to to feel for her. And um, so these were all things, again, that I'm throwing as as I go. I'm, these things are happening. These things are occurring to me as I'm writing. Um, that she's from the UK. I didn't know that until I wrote it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, her her ex husband and her kid. All these things. It happens instinctively mm-hmm. that I know what her husband is going to be like now, and I have to give him give her a reason to to marry him at the same time he's a complete yeah. jerk um right, right but all these things are occurring to me while i write them i didn't know about her husband until i wrote her husband <laughs> yeah. well i really hope that our readers get to meet ren and all of these characters it's me too. so good i really hope you get another shot too to write another book so we're, we all need to sign a petition yes <laughs> to the estate. But I'm going to ask you, is there a book in the works for IQ? Are we going to see another adventure for IQ soon? Yeah, I'm working on six now. Nice. Yeah. Um, How long does it normally the, take you to write one? About eight or nine months. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Um, in, the, in the last IQ in Smoke, at the very end of the book, Isaiah's girlfriend, Grace, gets kidnapped. And so in the new book, the IQ6, I picked that up right there. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And, of course. Uh, the, the main story is about um, uh, Isaiah finding Grace and playing cat and mouse with Skip, this crazy hitman guy. That um, guy. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> so, I love to hate so Skip. <laughs> that's where I picked it up. That's where I picked it up, and that's where I'm going. Awesome. And when, when do you think that's going to be on the shelves? Oh, not till 23. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's going to be here before we know it. The years are, they go so fast lately. I'm like, wait a minute, what year are we in? I feel like I missed that's two true. years completely. I can't remember if last year's 2019. It's just been crazy. How are you holding up? Oh, fine. I'm holding up fine. I feel like I should be struggling more. <laughs> mm. I think some people feel like you know. that. I mean, social distancing is part of my job. Yeah. Um, I have to stay home and write. So it hasn't been that hard on me. It really mm-hmm. hasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, what about your wife? Now she's stuck there with you as you write. Um, fortunately, uh, we get along fine. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> she's very supportive. Yeah. She also has, we also have two parts of the house. There's her part and my part. Mm-hmm. And, and. Yeah, yeah. If you, if you want to have a lasting, lasting relationship, <laughs> divide up the house. <laughs> <laughs> I think Julie's going to join us here okay. soon. And I just want to thank you so much. I am so honored that I got this opportunity to talk about this fabulous book and to get to talk to you again. Julie, Nothing thank you. that I do should be honored. Especially well, I'm honored. It, okay. All right. You can't, you there's insist. nothing you can do about it. Nothing you can right. do about it. We like that. We like having you, Joe. We all love Joey Day. It's I like true. being here. I like and being. And you know what? I, I'm sure you know this, Joe. Jennifer, I mean, you probably did too. But Raymond Chandler lived for a while in La Jolla. He actually yes, died in La Jolla. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's spent a lot of time, you know, some writing about like the um, La Valencia Hotel. So next mm -hmm. time you're down, did you go? Did you go there, Joe, when you were here for the last event that you had live with us? Did you happen to stroll down to the? I, La I went to La, La Jolla just to see you guys. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, next time we'll have to like take you over to the hotel and because it's okay. changed a little bit, but it's a lot really of it's still cool. the same. Um, One of my I, favorite. I want to go there. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do is to sit out on that balcony and look at the water. And yeah. And that, was, that part, I think, really is, is not changed. Yeah, really. That's expensive. Expensive. <laughs> so, but yeah, exactly. But he um, he kind of was a little bit like Dr. Seuss, I think, in some of his impressions of La Jolla and people La Jolla. Yes. <laughs> but anyway, he's a little, got a little curmudgeonly there, I think, too. <laughs> yeah, he was. He was. Oh. Um, his drinking was always a problem that yeah. makes you a little surly. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Okay. We do have some Maybe questions that came drinking. in. So <laughs> Jim and Jim, I love that you were looking for the whiteout to get Jim had a little fun with his had a little fun with a number nine that he couldn't get out of his question, but I love it. I knew what you're talking about, Jim. So, um, he thanks you, Joe, for your reflections. Um, this is always a hard one, but, um, maybe you have some ideas. What actors would you pick to play Marlowe? and IQ? Um, IQ, I don't know any of the new actors. I know. I don't keep track of movies anymore, but it would be, it would be a younger Denzel. Oh, yes. You know? mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah, somebody who's sure. obviously intelligent mm -hmm. and has that quiet intensity. Um, that's him. Marlo, um, Brad Pitt. Oh, younger. Interesting. And that, that's I how I saw him was, was, was Brad Pitt with an attitude. Huh. You know? um, cool guy, good looking. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, um, Brad Pitt can be very dark if he wants to. He can be mm -hmm. very intense if he wants to be. Mm -hmm. He's a pretty good actor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So those were my two images. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay. Uh, Neves on this says Jennifer mentioned that you write seven days a week. How do you decompress, separate from the intensity of your characters? question um it's not that hard really um <laughs> good cocktail you know i go for uh you know i go for a walk with my wife and my dog and you know i live in a nice place and there are mature trees and we can walk to the ocean i mean it's not really that hard to decompress hmm. um i can cut that off pretty easily yeah. you can compartment because you do write some pretty intense stuff i mean it's like it's pretty yeah. gritty intense stuff so um, I'm, I'm actually I'm in the scene when I write it, like I'm there in the room. But when I'm done, I'm done. OK. Mm. Mm. Yeah. All right. And Anastasia. Hello, Anastasia. Thanks for being with us. Um, this question is related to part of the discussion um, that, that you had earlier with Jennifer about the possibility of Marlo and IQ meeting. Mm. Do the characters in your IQ series inform or influence the ones in the Goodbye Coast? Or do you envision that the characters in this book will influence the next IQ book? Wow. Mm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I don't know. I, as, I, as I said, you know, I, I make things up on the fly. So I, I don't really know what's going to happen. You know, yeah. I, 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 ju I just don't know. Yeah. I didn't know what was going to happen in IQ 6, but I'm writing it. Interesting. So, Yes. And it hasn't been a little bit harder writing the Marlowe that way, wasn't it? Um, in terms of world creation, 
yeah. you know, to start all over again, create a different world and a different LA and all those kinds of things. Yeah. That was, that was, that took the most focus. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's sort of a, um, this is what I do. So if you're doing something you know how to do, it's not that hard. Yeah. No. Um, your friend Mike Lapik is on here. I think you're saying oh. your name wrong, Mike. Oh, no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I think I always say your name wrong. I'm sorry about that. I'm saying, I'm saying everybody's name wrong. But he has a serious writing question for, you, for his friend Joe. Um, when you started, <laughs> when you started Goodbye Coast, did you know how it was going to end? No, I only knew, I only know when I start that the good guys win and the bad guys lose. That's all I know. That's it. Did you write Um, yourself into some corners? I try to write myself into corners and so Hmm. is Mike. Hmm. You're trying to write yourself into an impossible corner and then write your way out because the audience is smart. Yeah. Hmm. You know, if you're, if you're doing problems that the audience can solve, why should they read you? Yeah. True. True. Very yes. true. Love it. Mike, it's one, of, it's one of the rare things that Mike and I share. <laughs> <laughs> I'm oh, having wait, a feeling no. that a, <laughs> a sneaker collection. We both have a sneaker collection. Oh. Yes. What's your favorite? I, I, I curate Mike's. He doesn't know anything. <laughs> um, so you make those suggestions. You send him the links? Yes, I do. And then can I he, ask he, who he Mike does is? What, he, does, he does what I say. <laughs> he does what I tell him. <laughs> I love it. I love that. Good to have you here, <laughs> All right, another question from Anastasia. So she loves how you make the setting uh, character in your books. Have you ever considered writing something set outside of LA? And if so, where? Yes. Um, IQ has gone to Vegas, but that's as far as it's gone. And um, what you're always trying to do is to set, you, you always want them to be a, a fish out of water, you know, either with the location or the culture there or the people there. And I would like to get him out of LA, um, but I don't know how. I don't yeah. know how to work that yet. Yeah, it's um, gotta, yeah, there's good, cause it gotta be authentic of why he would be gone, why he would yes. leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's an authenticity. But now I have a reason to that. take, I take Marlo, I have a reason to take Marlo to the UK. Because that's yes, where you do. Yeah. Um, so I'm hoping to get a free trip out to London out of that. <laughs> Wait, the, <laughs> the thing that you don't do research, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I could do it. Nobody, on from, Google nobody from the publisher better be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think you answered this earlier uh, because you're you're not a fan of research and that. Um, but did you reread or revisit Chandler's version of Marlowe before you started, or did you just rely on memory of the character? No, I read everything. You read everything. Reread. Yeah, yeah. I read everything, and I, I you know, I had to make decisions about what I was going to keep from him and what I wasn't, yeah. and so I needed to read all the books. Were you ever afraid that it was going to influence you in some way? To you know, there's it's it's hard to write about historical, you know, and and such mm-hmm. beloved character. I had to cut that loose. Hmm. You know, I, 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 I brought forward as much as I could, but I had to cut that loose. Yeah. You know, because after a while, it, it, it would just weigh, weigh me down to always be concerned about that. Um, okay. So, yeah, I cut that loose pretty early. Yeah. It was actually it was my wife. 
um, I'm worried. And she says, uh, honey, just to be your best. Good advice. Boy, that's a, that's a great way to end this. It's all, that's the best advice for all of us. <laughs> they all agree with you, honey. <laughs> Just You're genius. <laughs> I love it. Joe, such a pleasure having you. Always. I really like I really like being here. I really like seeing you. It's always it's always a fun interview, which I can't say about too many interviews. Oh. And um really anytime you want me back, just yell. I'm Excellent. happy to be here. Excellent. Well, hopefully for um, the next IQ will be 2023. You will be in Warwick's in the store. Um, Live. And we'll go have a cocktail at La Valencia and yes, toast um, Raymond Chandler. I love it. All right. That sounds awesome. Thank you, everybody. Um, order the book. It's in the chat or just come by Warwick's. And Jennifer, thank you again. Joe, thank you, tell, your wife, tell your wife hi. Mwah. I will. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Good night. We'll see you. Good night. Hey, folks, this is Jennifer. And as you know, the premise is the official podcast of the San Diego Writers Festival, which, by the way, is happening this October, October 8th, in fact, 2022. It's going live be, and in person. Yeah, live and in person. I'm really, really excited. We um, we have so many exciting things happening. So many exciting speakers. They're coming in from all over, and we want you to be there. So Coronado Public Library, the fourth annual San Diego Writers Festival. San Diego Writers Festival You can subscribe to learn more about our programming and get on the list to win free books and all kinds of cool stuff happening. So San sure. Diego Writers Festival dot com. Dot com. <laughs>